Appreciate you being here this evening. I know that there's not much else going on this evening and appreciate you making it out, uh, basketball fans that you are. Um, was, uh, sorry, a little inside baseball here. There's a video up there. Um, had you already pulled it off the server? Okay, try and uh, you can mute the screen and may have to re-download it. Every sermon, while they're doing that, every sermon has an introduction. The purpose of that introduction is to give some sort of shocking statement, uh, tell some sort of story that brings or, or brings the audience to some point of tension, a problem that needs resolving. The purpose of the introduction is to clear the way in the room of the hearts of the and the minds of the audience for the message they're about to hear. We are right now in the introduction of tonight's message. Isn't that cool? Take a look around. What we are doing in the introduction is not the point of the message, but it prepares the audience those who are about to hear for the message. As we uh, tonight talk about introductions, I thought it would be good to, I thought, well, Sunday night audience, you know, they've made their way out, they're, they're looking past the game, and they are here. Maybe we should give them something that not everybody gets to see. And so I share with you tonight uh, a video from our Winterfest uh, the teens just returned back from half an hour ago. Okay? By uh, being a part of our group. And we've always considered you family. As of today, we get to count you a sister in Christ, which is something even more important and more precious and dear to us. So with that, I only have the one question that we read about in the Bible. Taylor, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God? Yes, sir. I know you do. Taylor, there's plenty of room here. Based on that confession and sincerity with it, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the remission of your sins and for the receipt of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Pretty cool. That's one of the great things about uh, Winterfest and Teen Camp and and moments like those, those mountaintop moments, whether they occur on a mountain or in Texas. Uh, Wherever they occur, it's always cool to to get a front row seat to see how God works in the hearts, whether it be of our teens who usually sit right here or in the, the hearts of other people in the congregation, in the family of God. It's always cool to get to see that. Up close and personal. As we start tonight, I want to ask you the question, who made that happen? Who is responsible for that? I mean, what, what, was it Taylor's sister, Hannah, who had had conversations with her and prayed for her? And was it, was it the youth group? Was it a, a certain class or a devo? Was it, was it 
the speakers at Winterfest giving a, an inspiring lesson? Was it Jim? Who was it that, that did that? Well, of course, Sunday Night Crowd understands that none of those people are really of consequence. They, they plant, they water, and it's God that gives the growth. He works through all of us. But what happened in Taylor's life had a, had a result, was a result of many different people making an introduction of her to Jesus. And who we're talking about tonight is a living introduction to Jesus. Turn your Bibles to John, uh, Luke chapter 3. It would be weird to turn to John in a series on Luke. Turn to Luke chapter 3. Which, if you're in one of the few Bibles, will be page 1,101. And we're going to read the story of a living introduction. A man who came with a purpose, the cousin of Jesus, a powerful prophet, a voice calling in the desert. He was the one who introduced the Christ to the world. Read with me, follow along. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of, tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Aturia, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness." And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. As we start out, there's a lot of names and Caesars and leaders listed in this story. Uh, The time is of Caesar Tiberius. Uh, Caesar Augustus was transitioning power to Tiberius. And why this is important is it sort of gives us a historical timeline of when this story occurred. Uh, Caesar Augustus began to transition power in 11 A.D. uh, to Caesar Tiberius. Now, um, not unlike the transition with Steve and I, you know, we, we began to do this transition little by little of handing off of the pulpit, and so it took some time. Now, different, of course, is that Caesar Augustus died. Uh, Steve Tandy didn't die, but it took some time of transition. It took about three years. And so, depending on where in that transition Luke is addressing, uh, somewhere between AD 11 and AD 14, um, we are about at year AD 26 or, or AD 29, somewhere uh, right at the beginning of the timeline. The word of God came to John. Uh, This was a predicted prophet. This was not a surprise. Um, He was called in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Uh, And keep in mind that a word from the Lord had not been heard in four centuries. 
It had been a dry spell. And uh, now comes an, a new prophet, uh, one who's different but who seems oddly familiar uh, to one that they knew very well. Luke chapter 1, verse 17, if you recall from uh, the first chapter, Luke wrote this, and he will, this is talking about John now, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, just so you're aware, there are some people who think that John was Elijah reincarnated. That's not the case. But he was like Elijah. He had a purpose. He had a prophecy. He had a ministry like Elijah. John was a lonely voice. We know, of course, from Bible bowls and and, uh, uh, Bible trivias that he was a sort of odd, dressing, dressing in camel's hair, eating locusts, living in isolation, living in the wilderness. And his proclamation, if I had to boil it down, was prepare the way for the king and his kingdom. That was his role. It was to prepare the people for Jesus. All the Gospels, by the way, quote Isaiah But what's interesting is how Luke quotes Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Only Luke adds uh, verse 5 of Isaiah 40. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. All people... Refer, it was a Gentile message. That was not something that the, the, the Jewish people understood. That, and even Jesus himself was, I was sent primarily to the house of Israel. But Luke is giving this Gentile influence to say there are people outside of God's people who are yet to receive this promised coming one. Uh, what's interesting is in the first century, if you were a, a monarch of a position of royalty, there were uh, they had special um, crews, I'll just call them, a, a group of, of men who went ahead of them. And, and their entire purpose in that, of that crew was to clear the path of debris and obstacles and potholes and to make sure that the way was prepared for the royalty that was to come. They were clearing the road for who was to follow. And John did the same thing for Jesus. How does he prepare them? How does he call them? He calls their hearts to repentance. He calls their lives to change. And he calls their lives to bear fruit. And he calls their souls unto salvation. Let's look at verse 7 of Luke chapter 3. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise up from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered, Whoever has two tunics 
is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. The second thing John that we learn about John is John sought to rejuvenate sincere repentance. He first calls out the leaders, the brood of vipers. Uh, he was quite serious about their lack of leadership. Leaders should take that into account. We have an extra measure of responsibility, whether you're men who lead your homes or you're uh, someone who leads a ministry here at church or you're a deacon or you're a, a ministry leader or you are an elder. We have a, a, an extra measure of responsibility laid upon us. John says to them, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Uh, the final judgment is what he's talking about here. In other words, what, what is your purpose in being here if you're not preparing the people which you claim to lead? The second thing is the, the, the people, there's this common question of what then shall we do? What's the, what, what do you want us to do, John? I mean, if, if, if repentance is shown by the fruit of our lives, what does fruit look like in our lives? Uh, the, the sign of any true repentance is a change of action. Repentance is, as someone said, better well done than well said. You see a new Christian, you want to see fruit. In other words, a person who's just new into Christ, one month or six months down the road, hasn't changed anything about their life, hasn't showed any fruit of repentance. Now, that's not just true for new Christians. That's true for all Christians Fruit, the fruit of repentance should be shown in our lives. There's a, a saying in the culture that uh, is probably not as popular now as it was a few years ago, but it was sorry, not sorry. I really hate that because it undercuts the idea of the word sorry, what a, an apology is all about. And in the same way, there are some people whose, whose idea toward repentance is uh, thanks, but no thanks. They they like the idea of Jesus. They want the salvation from Jesus, but repentance, eh, sorry, not sorry. May we then produce fruit. Fruit is a result of new life and new creation. A bearing fruit comes only when we're connected to the vine. And John will point out that it has a, more of a matter to do with your actions, not your ancestry. And this is important if you were raised in the church or your parents brought you to church faithfully. And that's a blessing, by the way, but we have to be careful. Because even we can pick on the Jewish people for getting all into their genealogies and their ancestry and their heritage and saying, well, I'm, I'm connected to Abraham. But we can do the same thing. I've heard a lot of people in my life say, you know, my grandmother was, was a, a God-fearing woman. She was never baptized, and so therefore I would never, I shouldn't have to be baptized. What, what you're doing there is, is connecting yourself to ancestry. You're not showing repentance. You're not showing fruit in your heart toward Christ. We've got to show fruit. We've got we to uh, uh, do the same thing that they did. It's actions, not ancestry. God can raise up children from the stones, you see. It's not really that important who he uses. It's how we respond. Galatians chapter 3, verse 29 says, If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed 
and heirs according to the promise. The cool thing that John talks about in raising up stones out of stones is that he could have been alluding to the Gentiles. I'm going to use people who are not clearly of Abraham's seed to become Abraham's seed. How did that happen? Because they were so righteous? No, but because of Christ. So we need to focus on our lives, not our legacy, and our actions, not our ancestry. The axe is laid to the root. He says that there's irreversible judgment coming. Um, the story, I have a, a children's book of virtues. I read to Tyler when he was younger and read to Grace and Alan. The uh, story of George Washington as a boy chopping down the cherry tree. He had this new axe, and he was chopping things. And his father had this special cherry tree, and and boy, George Washington chopped it down. And his father was so distraught. And, of course, the lesson's about honesty, because George, you know, the father says, did you do this? And he says, I cannot tell a lie. And, and George Washington's father says, it, I'm distraught about the cherry tree, but... Uh, what I've gained here today is knowing that I have a son who's honest. And that means more to me than all the cherry trees in the world. At the moment that that, that cherry tree was cut, it would, it would produce no more cherries. There would be no more life within the tree. And Jesus is saying that to those who do not repent. Or John's saying that to, to those who do not repent. And, and we remember that with the story of Jesus and the fig tree. Jesus had no patience for fruitless trees, but even more so, he had no patience for fruitless lives. It's really pointless to say you follow Jesus if you don't act like Jesus called you to act and live like Jesus called you to live and repent and change the sins that Jesus would not tolerate. John and Jesus both would call that fruitless living. The crowd, of course, responds in genuine repentance. This is every preacher's dream, right? You give the sermon... And afterward, they don't just come up to you and say, that was a fine message this morning. They say, hey, hey, you know what? That really, that really made me think. And I was wondering if you have any idea of how I should change my life. That's pretty powerful. They were cut. They knew, okay? Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Jesus, uh, you know, Peter is preaching the, the Sermon of Pentecost. Preceding that... Verse 37 says, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, what shall we do? That's when you know when the heart's been touched is when someone's saying, I want to change and I want to sincerely show that change. And so John said, repent. And he didn't just mean that in a sort of rhetorical way. He meant that in an applicable way. He said, don't, don't hoard. Share your food. Share your clothing. Repent from greed, I suppose is what he's saying. He told the tax collectors, uh, Israelites who were hired by Rome to collect from their own people. And, and tax collectors, you probably know, had the ability to, you know, let's say um, that Mark owed a $100 tax bill. If I'm the tax collector, I had all the authority in the world to say, Matt, uh, Mark, your, your tax bill is $200 or 200 denarii or whatever it might be. Okay? And you just took the surplus. That's why tax collectors were despised and hated because they were – and tax collectors knew that. And so they thought, well, since we're hated, we're just going to be greedy. And then the only people that tax collectors loved and hang out with were, their ta- were other tax collectors. The Israelites saw them as traitors. And John says, don't overcollect. Don't go farther than you should. 
He told the soldiers to practice integrity and character. Uh, don't overcollect in the same way. Be content with your wages. So, so with repentance, showing exceeds telling. You gotta do something about it, and it needs to be evident. Um, let's continue to verse 15. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, and that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized... And when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, with you, I am well pleased. People tend to put their focus on the man and not the message. This is always the messenger's danger. That you can be misled and deceived and even used by the enemy to think that somehow the message you proclaim has anything to do with you. And the audience can do the same thing. Someone once gave this admonition to preachers, and I thought it was quite good. Don't let praise go to your head and don't let criticism go to your heart. May messengers, whoever they have to be, and some of us stand here and do that and proclaim, but there are times when each of us must proclaim the message and the, and the sharing of Christ himself. Don't fall into the trap and, and be sucked in by pride and deceit, conceit rather. Um, may you keep the focus on the message and not the messenger. And, and John responds beautifully. He just does it perfectly. Putting the spotlight on right back on Jesus. John always knew that his purpose was to become less. In, 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 in the modern world, it, it would be John, the preacher, who preaches revivals like an unto a Billy Graham or something. And, and gradually, little by little, he says, you know, I would like smaller venues. And then maybe I'd like to, to, to go be a preacher at a, at, a, at a medium-sized church, maybe a small church, maybe one where they couldn't even pay me. John always knew his purpose was to become less. You, you read John chapter 3, verse 25, which is obviously not in Luke, but... His whole, he, he just had such a humble perspective. And maybe it was because they grew up together and were related, maybe because he knew Jesus. But I think because he knew himself, he knew what his calling was. 
Um, this is John 3:25 and following. Now a discussion arose between some of, some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you were bore witness, this is Jesus, we don't know. Look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. And John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who is the bride is the bridegroom. The, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. That, that's powerful. I mean, that, that, that's lived out in, in seeing the crowds that came to you now going to Jesus. And John keeping his head about him, that though he came before Jesus, he was certainly not above Jesus. In fact, he'll say, he, his sandals, I'm not worthy to untie. He's greater, he is greater than I. He's mightier than me. Um, uh, his baptism... Is beyond repentance. John baptized for repentance, but and Jesus would baptize with repentance, but more than repentance, with also the Holy Spirit, which you receive when you are baptized into Christ, and and the, and the baptism of fire, which spoke to the coming judgment. Uh, you're going to receive this baptism of fire if you're not baptized. The winnowing fork is in his hand. He separates the wheat from the chaff. John didn't have the power to do that. He knew only Jesus did. He's going to gather the wheat. He's going to burn the chaff. John's very clear about Jesus' role, and John's very clear about his own role. John kept preaching the good news of the king and his kingdom. And interestingly enough, John's righteousness made him enemies. Now, I know that doesn't happen today, but, but when you live a right kind of life, that's going to make you enemies in the world. It's just going to happen. And when John called out Herod and Herodias, it got him into trouble, and it sent him to prison. Um, now, just as a side note here, Luke is organizing this account topically, okay? So this is not happening chronologically. You may say, wait, wait a second, I didn't think John was put in prison until much later in Jesus' ministry, and you're right. Uh, Jesus, or Luke here, is, is putting this all together sort of by topic, and the topic here is John. Jesus was baptized with all the people. Now, we understand, of course, that Jesus' baptism was different than our baptism. It wasn't to repent. He had nothing to repent of. It wasn't for sin. He had no sin to be forgiven of. But he uh, was was... As, as said in another gospel account, let us do this now to fulfill all righteousness. At the, at the baptism of Jesus, we see the, the Trinity, not the word Trinity, but the function, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all together. And that's pretty rare. That doesn't happen very often. It will happen later in Jesus' ministry, but it, it's one of the few times that it does. So we know this is a big occasion. Verses 23 through 38 of chapter 3 is the genealogy. And I chose not to go through that line by line, but sort of just give you a big picture of it. His genealogy shows two things. One, his Jewish heritage, and second, his 
holy heritage. Luke gives us Mary's genealogy. Matthew gives us Joseph's genealogy. Luke moves backwards from Jesus all the way to Adam, showing that he's fully human, and all the way to God, connecting him fully to God. So he's both fully human and fully God at the same time. Age 30 is when Luke tells us or how old the, that Jesus was when he began his ministry. If you go through the Old Testament, you'll see this was the age at which prophets typically began, Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1. The ages at which priests became priests, Numbers chapter 4, verse 3. Even the age at which David became king, Second Samuel chapter 5, verse 4. Uh, not necessarily an uh, all-inclusive matter, but 30 was a common age to begin big things in your life. John kept himself humble through all of that, and he kept himself focused. What lessons, then, can we apply from the book of John? Um, from the book of Luke, I apologize. May we, then, live prepared. John prepared the way for Jesus. That was his purpose, to prepare the people's hearts for the Son. We are called to live as prepared people. Someone said heaven is a prepared place for prepared people, and I've always liked that. But, but even more than that, might I challenge you to, to view yourself as a preparer, as a person who in whatever place you find yourself this week or in the weeks to come, as a person who seeks to continually show the light and the glory and the goodness of Jesus Christ, to continue to seek to introduce them to Jesus. And, and, and that's not likely, you know, we kind of think evangelistically, like, I'm going to lead this person from, from absolutely zero faith all the way into the, you know, waters of baptism. That's not usually how it happens. Occasionally it does, but more often it's sort of a handoff. More, more often it's, it's, I, I teach them this much and then God takes them to another person and they teach them this much and they kind of gradually, it's step by step, it's a multitude of people involved in the process. May we see ourselves as not only prepared people, but people who are willing to prepare people uh, that come into our paths. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you, and to do this with gentleness and respect. And the, the prepared is not just for you, but the, the prepared is to be prepared to lead people to Jesus and to prepare them for Jesus as John did. How do we do this? Number one, we have to reveal repentance. We have to show that in our own lives. My question is, on this point, have you grieved for your sin? And when was the last time you did? The second is to stay humble. Um, I heard the adage a couple of months ago, be humble or you will be humbled. I think John lived that out well, and I think it's good for people who follow Jesus to follow in the same way. Peter would say, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And like John, you know, John was lifted up in due time, but where did that lifting up end up? It ended up in him in a prison cell, losing his head. 
he, he was lifted up for a sacrifice. He said, we need to understand that it's not all about our glory. That God may lift us up in this world to be a sacrifice, to be a living sacrifice, giving up ourselves and, and letting our lives be used to shine the light of Jesus. That's how John lived, and that's how John would probably call us to live. Jesus prepared the way. My question is, are you prepared? Do you know the way? And if you're not prepared, then I would encourage you to do a couple things. Number one, listen to the voice in the wilderness. Listen to John's voice. Repent. Bear fruit. Show something in your life that makes a reflection of you're ready to change your heart. Second is, learn from Jesus Obviously, his baptism was different than ours, but we understand that we follow his example and that we're baptized into Christ, and we remind that he set the example for us. And finally, join the family. Add your name to the genealogy, not just in this book, but in heaven's eternal book. If you need to do that tonight, if you are not prepared to enter eternity, there's no better time to be prepared than tonight. If you have any need tonight, please come. I'll meet you down front as together we stand and sing.